Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today. It's actually Friday here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and it's spring, and I'm loving it, and I'm staring at Adam Conk. How you doing today, man? Great. How are you, man? Spring it is. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, things bloom. Did you know that? Yeah. Things bloom in the spring. Well, it's funny because I just heard of, about someone in Syracuse, New York, right. today, same day. I mean, it's 80 degrees today. Right. We're like, you know, sun tanning, and they got apparently... 25 feet of snow in one day. I mean, that's over-exaggerating, but a lot of snow, and I just think it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, last week I, I mowed my grass on Thursday, and then on Friday I flew out to Kansas City and there was snow on the ground, and it's just it's like, <laughs> wait, what just happened? What just happened? Oh, Same time man. zone. It's crazy. So anyway, um, I was thinking, let's do uh, underrated, overrated section here. Right on. All right. Let's do it. All right, so I, I want to throw out some... Lenten penances that tend to be fan favorites. Okay. And I want you to tell me if that's an overrated penance or an underrated penance. Okay. Now I have no idea what you're going to say. Right. All right. Here we go. Okay. Chocolate. Giving up chocolate for Lent. Overrated? Underrated? I mean, that's like the silliest thing ever. Okay. So what would that be? Overrated. That's overrated. It's overrated. I don't know. Unless you're... Elaborate. Okay. Unless you're addicted to chocolate. (laughs) And you're like, I have to do this or I might die. My advice would be to find some other vice or some other virtue to choose besides, hey, I'm going to give up chocolate. All right. Overrated, underrated, going to daily mass more. Now, think about this one. On the surface, we might say, well, of course, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it isn't. But let's, let's dig a little deeper. Overrated, underrated. A lot of people do this every Lent. Going to daily mass more. Well, the concept's underrated. Like, I think daily mass would be phenomenal. I, and I think it's overrated for those people who are super busy with families and, and they just, they want it to be a goal of theirs, but it's unrealistic goal. Like, they, the times just don't work. They can't make it happen. You know, so it's one thing to say, well, you know, I'm just going to leave my kids, you know, and I'm going to make mass and that makes me feel better. But it just it's not maybe good for that day or for your family. See, I guess what I'm saying is give yourself a little bit of flexibility if it's not good for your family. Uh, but yeah, that's that's like the ultimate goal of Lent. Mm. All right. TV. Giving up TV. I think that's underrated. I think that's, that's a phenomenal goal. Uh, and I would just add like any media and social media stuff into that. Screens. Screens. Like, my life is so much better on days where I have less screens. Honestly, like, I feel like I'm clearer. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll see people tweet and be like, oh, my phone battery went out. It was like the best day of my life. And then they're already back on social media as soon as their battery (laughs) got charged (laughs) up. I'm like, why do it? Just stay away. Yeah. All right, last one. Overrated, underrated, Linton missions. Very popular thing. You know, they sometimes are. we'll go to one, sometimes we'll go to 15. I'm Over- actually doing one in Florida this week. So, you know, so what are you asking? Overrated, underrated. From from a church's perspective or from the, the individual? Growth. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's I think they're great. Uh, depending on the theme and where you are and what your church is offering or the speaker. I, I mean, I think parish missions are really good to kind of get in tra- on track and, and grow. Uh, obviously, if there are three or four nights and you're like, you can't make them all, so then you don't do it at all, I would say pick a night and go to one of them, right? Maybe your church records the, the other talks or people take notes for you. Um, one year, um, there was a four-night mission, 
and my wife and I alternated and we took notes and then we shared notes because we both couldn't go every night. We had kids and kids activities and, you know, it was just like, hey, we're just going to leave our family for four days so we can go to this parish <laughs> mission. It just didn't fit. Right. Mm. Uh, so we did what we could to grow and it was amazing. Right it was actually Father Jacques Philippe. Oh, yeah. Spiritual ninja, dude. Yeah. Yoda of Yodas. <laughs> <laughs> He's phenomenal. If you ever read any of his stuff, it's really great. Uh, so anyway, I was just in Kansas City. All right. And speaking of fasting. Which and, is not in Kansas, Lent, by the way, just so everyone is clear. Well, there's there, it is. There's Kansas Wait, City, Kansas, and there's Kansas City, Missouri. Which one were you in? So you just learned something. You just learned something. I didn't know there was a Kansas City, Kansas. Yes. Okay, so which one it's were you? It's split by the river, and then you fly into one. Kansas City, Kansas. Okay. Wow. Yeah, That's you totally learned something different. today, which I learned something from you today. What? Now, you learned something more, I think, obviously, that you could use in trivia, but I learned that you can actually speed up your cursor <laughs> from your mouse, that you can, there's a setting that you can make your cursor move faster. Yeah, and that saves you like half your life. I didn't even realize that. So this is like it. a new tool. But I cut you off. So Kansas City, you went there. Okay, so here's the pain of it all, right? The suffering of Lent, right? So I am uh, traveling from Louisiana, which on Fridays in Louisiana, let's just be honest, it's not that big of a sacrifice no. to find fish or seafood fresh, right, or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you want to suffer a little bit more, you just eat PB&J. Yeah. Plus, we can cook rocks and make them taste good, let's just be honest. Pretty much. So if you, like this morning I had a, you know, a veggie omelet, that was amazing. Right. So I'm traveling on a Friday, which a lot of times when I'm traveling in Lent on a Friday, I often forget that it's Friday because you're just traveling. But I didn't. Mm -hmm. I remembered. And so I'm in Kansas City. Now, what's the thing that Kansas City, Missouri is the most famous for? You might learn something else today. Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas? Same, really, the area. Okay. But well, Kansas City, like Kansas. A food they're both? Kansas. A food that they're... You, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say sausage. Barbecue. Barbecue. Adam, barbecue. It is, this is the thing. There's nothing to do in Kansas, by the way. I don't know if you know <laughs> that. that. There's not a lot to do. Grow corn and barbecue. Barbecue. This is the thing. I mean, I, I love a good barbecue. It's a good thing. Okay, so where am I on a Friday in Lent? And barbecue capital of USA. the world. Mm -hmm. Kansas. Wow. Yeah. Now, so people, did you barbecue eggplant? People would argue the capital, but... They would argue that it is the capital. And there's this amazing barbecue place not far from where I was staying, and I couldn't go. I mean, you could have gotten barbecued tofu. So not only that, I was there speaking at this conference. I was there on a Friday night. It's barbecue capital of the world. And I, I just went to this little cafe by myself and ate, like, an appetizer of these little shrimps. <laughs> Were they good? <laughs> no, I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> Shrimp in Kansas is like suffering. Oh, I mean, shrimp in Kansas is like eating, uh, what would I say? Um, it'd be like eating, um, I don't know. Well, I, I think what you're getting at is what non-Cajuns don't usually understand is that when Cajuns eat, we don't just think about what we're eating. We think about all the ways that it can be cooked, would be cooked, all the ways we've cooked it in the past. Right. It's like when you eat uh, a shrimp, your whole life history with shrimp, is in that moment. <laughs> it's true. Right? This yeah. is how Cajuns think. Yeah, it's true. And so we, we, we gauge our food experience now. So like if I'm eating this shrimp in Kansas City, I'm also eating all this other shrimp that I've eaten in my life has been totally different, whatever. And so I don't know. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of times in Friday and Lent, so I was sitting next to a table 
of people. It was a, two couples. They were a, a little bit older. And I was just by myself um, eating, getting some food. And I was going to go back, get some rest. And I had a bunch of talks the next day. The uh, And I, I heard them saying, you know, like, oh, you're a bad Catholic because one person ordered a hamburger. So apparently they were Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just kind of funny to me. Um, just th- this tension around fasting and Lent. And I think a lot of times it's because people just don't understand fasting. They don't understand. They think it's just obligation. The church is telling me what to do and how to live my life. And in part, that's true because the ner- the church, the Lord knows what's best for us, and he knows how to tell us how to live our life. And if actually we would be obedient to God and read scriptures, our life would be so much better, by the way. Yeah. And I think oftentimes where I have the most tension and trouble in my life is when I'm just not being obedient to God in my life, right? Um, but I've been getting more into this fasting thing, this one, trying to understand it, trying to wrap my mind around it, instead of it just being an obligation. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what is it about fasting that's so important in our life? And I think the reality is not only is fasting a, a form of prayer, but fasting clears space for God to move and work. It's this tension that's built when we, when we abstain from something we have to put something else there, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And in Lent, like what we're asked to do is abstain from this and think about God, right? God takes the space of what we're fasting from. So whether it be meat on Fridays in Lent, which we're obligated to do, or whatever else you fasted for or abstaining from during Lent, God's saying, I want more space in your life. And when you look at fasting from that perspective, it becomes more, it becomes less about, oh, I have to do this, and more of, I want to do this. And I think everybody wants to grow closer to God. Yeah. Fasting allows that to happen. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes we don't even realize how much energy things take. Something as simple as watching TV. Very simple activity, right? Right. But as we're doing it, we're not asking ourselves a question, you know, how much mental energy is this taking for me to do? How much space is this taking in my heart, in my emotional life? Mm-hmm. And we can't all psychoanalyze our life that way. Right. But when we step back for a season, we'll see the effects. We'll see the room that God now has because this thing is out. And so when we go back to the TV, let's say an Easter or something, we're much more aware of how much we're investing of ourselves into such and such activity. And we can better fit it into our relationship with God versus the other way around. Absolutely. You know, I gave up something, to, which I'm not going to share because it's more a personal thing. Uh, and just want to kind of keep it under, you know, like I don't want to talk about it or brag about it, you know. Uh, but there's times in Lent right now, like I'm experiencing that tension where it's like, man, I, I, I want that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm conscious of not being able to 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 get it. And it's causing me to take a step back and pray in mm-hmm. those moments. And it's been kind of cool. It's been neat. I'm embracing the relational side of fasting instead of this obligatory side of fasting. I want to grow closer to God. Mm-hmm. And the more I grow closer to God, the better my life is, right? The, the yeah. happier I am. And yeah. that's the point. And I think you're touching on really something we don't think often about is that Jesus is obedience. I mean, that's kind of his hallmark, right? Christ became obedient unto death even death on a cross, right? Amen. But that word, abodire, obedience, is to listen to. Yeah. And there's a difference between this blind obedience, which I think our culture actually prizes. You know, we look at people that follow orders no matter what and say that's what we should be. Yeah. But that's not Jesus. Like, Jesus knows his Father. So, like, as he's on the cross, even when he's saying, you know, why have you forsaken me? 
there's a connection and a listening to his father to where he understands. And because of that, in freedom, he lays his life down. And I think for us as Catholics, blind obedience can't... It's a good thing when that's all we have, but to access our freedom as human beings, we have to move into a place of listening to the church, listening to the Father, and then responding in our freedom. Like, now I understand why you're asking X, Y, Z, and so I freely choose to do it. And that's just a totally different experience, I think. Yep. Amen. So wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, I mean, I think life gives us every opportunity to grow closer to God, to be obedient, Mm -hmm. uh, to be faithful, and to listen. And uh, every day is a new day, you know. Um, some mornings I have a bad morning, and I say, you know, I have the rest of the day uh, to get back on yeah. track. So, you know, that's life. That's the ebb and flow of life. But God's always with us. So I'm excited about our guest and to talk about a really, really cool topic and future saint. Whoa. It's the Paul George Show. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. It's Paul George. Great to be with you. I'm really, really excited to have our guest on. A guest I've already had, but it's been a while, and I love talking to her. Alexis Walkenstein, how are you? Hey, Paul. How are you doing? Good. I always try to get past the last name. I mean, literally, it stumbles me every time. <laughs> I don't know why. But anyway. <laughs> well, you're you're hitting it out of the park so far. Yeah. So, uh, Okay. Uh, Alexis, we've, we've, we've chatted before on the show, but it's, it's been a while. You got a ton of stuff going on. You're, you're all over the place. You do uh, a great radio show called, uh, Mary's touch. Um, is that a weekly show? You do that monthly. How often do you do that? It's a weekly show and, uh, it airs all over the country. Um, half hour show and, you know, topics of faith, you know, we try to draw it you know, connection to the Blessed Mother yep. and our guests that have a particular devotion to her. Awesome. And you're in L.A. now, um, and you've been in L.A. for a while. Uh, and you got an interesting job. It's kind of one, I wouldn't say I'm envious of you, but I think it's a really cool job. Um, <laughs> and, and you kind of got your hands in so many cool things in, in marketing and networking. Tell me what you're doing, what you're up to right now, because you're working on some really cool projects. Yeah, so last year I started my own company called Awe, Alexis Walkenstein Enterprises, and, you know, decided that um, I'd be able to have a little bit more control over the projects that I I work on and the people that I work with out here in Hollywood and, you know, still working in the movie biz and representing authors. Um, I work for Our Sunday Visitor and represent their authors. I'm working on Paul Apostle of Christ movie right now, which is a Sony firm film, working with the great guys at ODB Films, all super faithful Catholic guys, and working on a great movie called The Dating Project, which is produced by a Catholic in Hollywood, Megan Harrington, and Steve McAvity, who you know from The Passion of the Christ and Braveheart. Phenomenal projects, and I'm just really blessed to be able to do what I love and continue to, you know, penetrate the culture with, with, um, 
positive things. Yeah, that's so great. Um, all right, so I want to get to this new project you're working on, which you didn't talk about, which is good because I want to bring it up. But I do want to ask you a couple of those questions. So do they basically hire you to help market this and get the word out? Because I've seen um, Paul the Apostle of Christ, and I've watched trailers, and it looks like it's going to be a phenomenal movie, comma, I just saw this whole project on this this dating movie, and I was intrigued by it, <laughs> and it looks really good too. Like, so, tell me a little bit about those two things because they're really fascinating. They're really good. Yeah, they are um, two two of my favorite projects um, in a long time. You know, Paul Apostle of Christ is is a film that you know ODB Films and Andrew Hyatt, who's the director, is a phenomenal man of God and Catholic out here in Hollywood who. Um, this is a big breakout for him. His last film, Full of Grace, on the Blessed Mother, was a smaller project. Um, and, you know, he had big Paul, St. Paul conversion story of, of his own. And um, God was calling him to do these types of sacred art house films. And um, he wrote Paul, and it's an amazing depiction of the life of Paul that we have not really considered. I mean, when we think of St. Paul, we think of kind of like the fiery conversion and you know, the apostolic preaching, and yet here's this depiction of, of the saint uh, at the end of his life when he's in prison, and the letters are being transcribed, and it's the relationship that he has with St. Luke, who's played by Jim Caviezel, hmm. and that's a really powerful performance. Paul is played by James Faulkner, and um, I think people will be really um, riveted by this depiction of Paul at this period of time with, with the Christian persecution at its height, and really how um, our lives relate to that now, you know, how Paul is really a saint for our time with Christian persecution and um, the challenges that we face, you know, really bearing witness to Christ. Um, so that's Paul. That comes out March uh, 23rd, which is really exciting, Palm Sunday weekend. Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. Project, yeah, people can watch the trailer yeah. and see it in the movie. Of course, I have a special connection with Paul, obviously my name. Uh, but obviously but the whole conversion, but, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. This, this dating movie was like out of right field and it's actually timely for our culture right now. It is. I mean, did you know 50% of America is single? Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, Megan Harrington is a visionary. She had a team of people that she kind of ran with and they were at dinner one night and the, the amount of women that were single at this dinner party toppled, you know, the married uh, statistic. And they said, what's going on here? You know, like, why are we all single? And what, what is really going on? Is it just us or is it everyone? And so they started to explore and um, hence the dating project emerged. And they found this really cool professor out at Boston College, um, my home turf in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. who for over a decade you know, she found out about the hookup culture right. you know, becoming such a prevalent force on campuses, and in particular, Catholic campus at, at BC. And she thought it was crazy. And she started to um, give her philosophy students extra credit for going, taking a dating assignment. And she started to realize that, you know, young people really need to understand the virtue of dating and friendship and, and how it is to, to make holy connections and, and, you know, wholesome connections, because, you know, dating has all all but been obliterated from our culture, and there's the social script to support dating just doesn't exist anymore. So the movie tracks uh, five single people, you know, ranging in age from 20s to 40s. Um, two of them are BC students, and three are young adults around the country, and also kind of with a, a focal piece around Carrie Cronin. 
and it's a fabulous look. It's a, it's a uh, young people and you know um, younger young adults are going through in the attempts to try to swim against this cultural tide. Yeah, it's um, so it's, that. Yeah, it's so good, and uh, you know it's been interesting because I. And lately, in a lot of the work I've been doing, I, um, I get brought out to to give talks on dating, like you know, relationships and dating, and 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 these young adults are like eating up this material, because um, first of all, we're created right to be in relationship, and then this whole idea, but the culture exactly. is coming against that. And I, I I think the the greatest, you know, you know, I, I don't know how to say this. I think the greatest tragedy in our culture today is the attack on the marriage vocation and and then you know if people aren't getting married and they're and they're not raising kids like our culture is just going to crumble in a lot of ways and and we're seeing mm-hmm. that you're seeing 50 mm-hmm. percent of people aren't married uh compared to say you know the 1950s when you know the majority right. of people 18 and up were married uh, that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be really cool. I think the church uh, needs to get behind this more and and begin to to hit this topic early on with people. So this is phenomenal. Um, so where can people find information on that movie? Do you know? Yeah, the datingprojectmovie dot com okay. is really where people can find out about tickets. It's a one night event. It's a one night fathom event. So we want people to really take groups. And um, use it as a ministry tool. You know that we're encouraging. You know the churches to where there's. You know Carrie Cronin is so interesting. She said, you know, for the single person at mass, they are the loneliest person in the church. Mm. There's really not a lot for them. You know, um, we track the sacramental life. You know, for first communicants and um, family life, but for the single person, it's the loneliest place in the world. So if you're a leader, a pastor. Um, just someone with, you know, a vision to kind of bring people together, you know, get a group and go see the dating project. Amen to that. All right. So I want to get to this. Cause this is, <laughs> I, I, I got to get to this. Okay. So I got to tell you, whatever you intended to do with this book that you have, uh, it's working. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Alexis just came out with a new book. I'm talking to Alexis, Alexis Walkenstein uh, out of LA. Um, you can find her on Twitter at Walkenstein. Um, and see all the stuff that she's doing, but it's a book on Fulton Sheen. And what's it called, Alexis? It's called Ex Libris Fulton J. Sheen. Ex Libris is the Latin for from the library of uh, Fulton J. Sheen. Okay, um, so I got to just give you a little backstory. Um, so I've been you know, kind of intrigued by Fulton Sheen, you know, I've known about him, but you know, it's interesting. And I'm sure you know this cause you've researched him, you fall in love with him. And, and then you, you did a compilation book of, of some of his greatest sort of excerpts, which is this book uh, that I'm reading. But a little backstory is there's sort of been a, a generational gap from Sheen, right? So, um, Fulton Sheen, right. what year did he die? Um, 1979. So he died in 79. So a lot of the, the, the older people know Fulton Sheen, and then people around our age sort of missed out on him, right? If you're born, you know, in the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, and you, you kind of heard about him, but you never yeah. you never connected well with him. And, and, then, and then all well, of a sudden there's this sort the, of... Yeah, we're the KP2 generation. I think that's part of it. You know, we didn't need anybody else. <laughs> right, yeah. We had a living, a living saint, <laughs> uh, obviously, as a pope. Uh, and then what's happened is and then there's sort of the ripple effect and all of a sudden you're starting to hear more and more about Fulton Sheen, of course, um, 
you know, his, his sort of trek of being, to being a saint. Is he blessed now? Or uh, what, what he's is he? Venerable. Venerable. He's actually Fulcine. venerable. Okay. He's on the way. Yeah, he is on the way. Yeah. And this is sort of one of your passions and your projects. So give me some backstory from your end on the book, because I've been intrigued by it. And then, and then I didn't know where to start with getting to know Fulton Sheen or reading <laughs> about him. And then your book came out, and it was like, yes. And I've been reading just an excerpt a day, and it's been rocking my world, by the way. Wow, that is awesome to hear. I love that. I just love that. Yeah, so what's your backstory? Yeah. How'd you get into this? Because it's a phenomenal book, and I want to tell people to get it. Uh, Ex Libre's Fulton J. Sheen. It's easy to find. Uh, you can get it online. Um, but um, go ahead. Give me the backstory from your, your end. Wow, so the backstory. I was leaving um, my secular TV news career in Boston to take on. I had just covered the death and funeral of Pope John Paul II, and the Lord was stirring in me that I was leaving my mainstream career somehow, that like my life was going to become totally different. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. And you know, I went away on a retreat at Franciscan University, locked myself there for a few days until Jesus spoke to me and told me what he wanted from me. And um, when I emerged, I was contacted by the, the Catholic Diocese of Palm Beach to um, take on a position as a director of communications for Bishop Barbarito in Palm Beach. And I had covered the sex abuse scandal in Boston extensively. And as you know, that was yeah. a total, a total mess. And, and, brought so much brokenness for everybody. But imagine being saturated in that day in and day out as a, as a mainstream journalist and a faithful Catholic. I was broken. Yeah. And so I had this desire to serve, you know, the church and help the church uh, recover from um, all of this. And what I didn't know was I was going into a, a deeper fire. I was going into a, a diocese that had two pedophile bishops that were removed before my beautiful Reformation bishop came in to, to take over. Hmm. And then we were about to embark on the largest financial embezzlement scandal in U.S. Catholic Church history. So Boston sex abuse would be Palm Beach's financial abuse. Wow, sounds fun. And so I didn't know, <laughs> right. yeah, I didn't know what I was in for on the financial side until day one, because of course nothing could be disclosed. Hmm. Um, and But the Lord in His goodness um, was preparing me for this battle and for, you know, this defense of the faith and to help uh, pray underneath my bishop as I served him. And as I was journeying, you know, to Palm Beach to take this job, I wandered into a bookstore um, at home, and it was a, it was actually a, a Pauline Media bookstore, the Daughters of St. Paul, that published this book. And I found Three to Get Married by Fulton Sheen, and I kind of at first put it back on the shelf and and then I, I realized, well, marriage, I really want to be married. Maybe my husband's somehow connected to Florida. And then second, I was like, this is a bishop, a holy bishop, writing good things about, you know, what the lady called to. And we've been so buried under so much filth of scandal. It's hard for us to kind of come out from under all of that and kind of still realize who we are and have the bishops have moral authority on some of these things. So I, I snatched up the book, you know, twofold thinking, you know, he could help me in my new job working for a bishop. I had no idea what that would be like. And also for my own desire for the vocation of marriage. And and that's so where, that's started, where the, the love affair began basically, huh? That's where the love affair began. I started to, I actually threw the book in my trunk, moved to Florida. <laughs> right. 
and the book did not surface for a while because I was thrust into all of this crisis communications, the new job, a new location. It wasn't until I was selling the car um, and I was like unloading the trunk to transfer everything over. And, you know, you can imagine what the trunk looked like, but um, the book started just, it was like the book became enlarged mm-hmm. and illuminated. And I could hear God say to me, I could just hear him speaking to me saying, you can't just have a vocation of marriage and not prepare. Hmm. I'm giving you something to help you prepare. And so that, that's what really got my attention. And I started to really meditate on three to get married and read the words within it. And then, you know, really take a deeper and more serious approach to praying for the man that God had prepared for me and becoming the woman that God wanted me to be for that man. Yeah. Amen to that. Three to get married was a book by Fulton Sheen and he had a bunch of other writings. And for people who don't know much about Fulton Sheen, you can obviously find a lot of information, but he was a media icon and a revolutionary with preaching. I mean, he was leading the way Mm -hmm. and uh, he was on television sets um, in, in America. I mean, it was just one of those things that, uh, for the church was phenomenal, and he is on his way to to sainthood in a lot of ways. Um, you know that whole process. But uh, I want to get to the book because I want people to get it. Ex Libris Fulton J Sheen, um, like you said, uh, Ex Libris, the, uh, sort of a library of some of his writings, and it's this beautiful little book. You've compiled um, excerpts from his writings in in sort of topical um, themes. Uh, and you put them all together, and it's a real easy read in a sense as you could read, um, you know, a couple of pages a day and just sit with it. Uh, you can journal with it. You can reflect with it. Um, you know, I certainly just personally wouldn't suggest someone read it just cover to cover and then put it away. It just has right. too much density to it to do that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. like, like, each day I'm sitting with something and it hits me. You've probably noticed a couple of my tweets, and you're like, hmm, that sounds really <laughs> yeah. familiar. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love, it. I love that, though. That's what we want, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, we focused on a bunch of different themes that, that would be kind of like, I wanted to look through the lens of not just the person of faith, but because but, I feel like Fulton Sheen his ability to reach people from all denominations and then also the lost. I mean, he had such an unbelievable charism for conversion and bringing people back from, you know, the depths of sin to a new Christ and and breaking through the psyche and the ego and selfishness and the things that are a barrier for us to have relationship with Christ and to see Christ. And so I kind of looked at a lens through communicating to those types of people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this, you know, I'm looking through all the themes and, uh, I mean, they're all good. Um, they're all amazing. And, you know, his writings were in a lot of ways for people who are searching, you know, and, and wanting to go deeper and are hungry for more. And you kind of touch on those. And I, I really feel like there's, you know, uh, the, his approach was for everyone. It wasn't for like, uh, only like the smart people who want to, you know, learn more catechesis. Like his approach and his mm-hmm. writings and his preaching were for everyone, no matter if you were in the pews or outside the pew, uh, if you were far away or you were near. Uh, like he was able to communicate the gospel and the message in a way uh, that people could understand. And he would touch on topics, and he does, and and you you bring this to light in the book. Everything from like, you know, prayer to uh, what are our bodies meant for, to sexuality, to um, you mm-hmm. know anxiety and worry like 
human things, people wanting to know more about. And I, I don't know. I think the, his his stuff is going to resurface a lot because I think it's so important for our day to day, right? Uh, where we are in our culture today. Totally. I think people are consumed with self. You know, our culture just sets people up to be overly focused on, um, you know, me, me, me with, you know, all the social media and every movement that we make. And yet Fulton Sheen's talking about how we have to make our movements a movement like a satellite around the center, which is Christ. And when we do that, you know, things shift and change. Um, so I just think he's brilliant in the way that he communicates um, and kind of, you know, his, his metaphorical and poetic language that really can help bring the understanding of the divine into the natural and help us really have a concrete understanding of not only who we are, but who God is and who we are in relationship to God is powerful for me. And, you know, three to get married was, was really the tipping point for me. And as I began to grow in my relationship with Fulton Sheen, who became a, an intercessor, I started to devour so much more of his writings and his, you know, his old TV shows and some of his older retreats. And I felt like there was such a, uh, a, a, a volume of work that had been untouched and untapped, like you said, by a whole generation. It was really the John Paul II generation. Mm. I was, of course, the John Paul II generation. And, yep. um, didn't feel like I needed any other intercessor in heaven, but right. yet here's Fulton Sheen, who's like a compliment to all of the things that we came to know, know about Jesus through John Paul II. But here was um, a man who uh, heralded the vocation of marriage, like John Paul II with theology of the body, but here was Fulton Sheen with three to get married. Um, John Paul II is one of the greatest communicators of our time, and yet here was Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, who penetrated the media like no other no one before and no one since. He was an Emmy award-winning bishop who went head-to-head Sunday against Milton Berle and won in the ratings. So if this man could do that in the natural um, and captivate with um, words that would be penetrating and converting, you know, what's he doing in the heavens? How I felt. So it's just a mighty move of God that this book would even come to pass. And it's part of a promise that I made to him um, when I prayed in the crypt, which you can read about in the introduction. But Mm. I feel so happy about the fact that I believe that people that pick up this book are going to have miracles. I believe that people, when they pick up this book, are going to begin to have um, new formation through the charism of this saint in the making and also um, an intercessor that they're going to be introduced to. God's not a respecter of persons. What he did for me with Fulton Sheen, he's going to do with everybody else that picks up this book. Amen to that. And I think the goal that you had, spiritual goal for this book, is already happening. So as we close, uh, tell people where they can get the book. What's the best way to get it? Yeah, so Pauline Media, um, you want to go to the Daughters of St. Paul website, and you can um, you can order it there, any any Pauline Media bookstore. It'll be on you know the regular Amazon.com and all of those places as well. Okay. Um, but you can, you can start ordering now, um, and it's out east. Easter, April 1st, April Fool's Day as well. Fulton Sheen's so funny. He has such a sense of humor. So Nice. Yeah, well, I got um, a pre-copy of it sent to me. Thank you, by the way. Um, and I'm, I'm loving it. So uh, people can go online, get it, pre-order it, get it uh, April 1st. And, of course, you can check out Alexis on Twitter. Uh, you can find out all the movies that she's getting behind. The Paul movie, the dating movie, some really cool things. Uh, I just need to have you on regularly so we can just talk about fun stuff and really good stuff so thanks for taking the time today and praying for you out in LA 
Thank you, Paul. Praying for you, too. Thanks so much. God bless. All right, you too. Have a good one. Bye. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George, Adam Conk. What a great interview. Loved it. Yeah, she's solid. And she's doing some really cool things. I mean, she gets to be a part of this, you know, this Paul movie, uh, this dating movie. She gets to go on she the Paul George show. Paul George show. I mean, she's really she made it. Book <laughs> she does a radio show. Uh, she really is doing what she loves. And I think it's great. And sort of culturally, um, she's able to, to help, you know, kind of you know, steer the church in a lot of ways through the media. It's important. Stuff. It's yeah. important. Cause I mean, as, as you're talking about Bishop Sheen, I mean, he did that almost entirely on his own. Like he yeah. used media, this giant American machine yeah. to proclaim the kingdom of God. Yeah. For those people who don't mu know much about him, I'm finding out more about him, you know, because, you know, I was born before he died, but yeah, I was kid you know when he died so i didn't really remember him it's surfacing learning more about him but he is uh venerable which is like step one right and then he goes mm -hmm. blessed and then saint you know there's this whole process but, but people you know they better pay attention because he's on the fast track he's got two miracles attributed to him that they're investigating right now that will probably be very in short order like yep and yep boom yeah he is on the fast track it's happening uh so anyway isn't there some controversy that's surrounding yeah, his sort of you know this is like weird catholic stuff it's weird stuff but it's, it's almost it's, embarrassing it's embarrassing and funny at the same time because you might think why would one catholic diocese ever sue another catholic diocese right. like how could that ever come about right well here's one way okay when um now archbishop sheen he he was not a bishop of a place so we got to say that from the get-go he was made a bishop uh, almost like Bishop Barron is today. In fact, there's a lot of parallels to their ministries. Bishop Barron is an auxiliary of Los Angeles, but he's not an ordinary of a place, and his main task is media. Right, so and this it, was, it gives him the freedom to do a lot of the things outside right. his diocese. So this yeah. was Archbishop Sheen. He had a titular diocese somewhere. But anyway, so he, he went all over, and he loved St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, and that's where he's buried. But he's from Peoria, Illinois. He's so, from Illinois, but he was living in New York. So knowing he's going to be canonized one day, well, you get this really great shrine that attracts a lot of devotion and revenue and all kind of stuff. Hence revenue. Hence revenue. So, uh, well, he's buried in New York, and apparently he said he wants to be buried yeah, in New York. Yeah, he That's requested he to be buried there. So the, the Diocese of Peoria is suing the Archdiocese in New York for years <laughs> now. Because they want his body. Because they want his body to come come home. That's amazing. And so there's this long lawsuit that's ugly, and uh, <laughs> they're suing over his body. I doubt anyone will ever fight over my body when I'm dead. I think you're right. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Same you, here, man. You know, like Same I doubt it would be at the point where we're like, you know what, no, we want him buried here, not here, and we're going to fight over it and sue people over it. 
They're probably just being and fine. That, and that's like proof that. of his holiness, right? Like yeah. If I, this happened with Saint Saint uh, Thomas Aquinas. A lot of the saints. I mean, you if you read about the early saints and or even like um, you know in the fifteen hundreds, even before that, the, uh, you know, like countries or areas would split body parts. You know, one yeah. area would get someone's head. Yeah. The other one would get the rest of their body. You know, because mm-hmm. they fought over it and like, well, we're gonna split body parts. Of course. Which is crazy. It's hysterical. You know. <laughs> but at the same time, lawsuit, we go into those churches and we see, you know, this saint's head, and we're and we're fascinated by it. So it is. It is very, very interesting. But I <laughs> do hope that they keep his body intact. That they don't. Uh, you know. Yeah. Quad, well, and that's quad what it out. That's what they're fighting over, you know. But uh, I got. I, can I can I tell you that you, I'm taking sides in this? Okay, go ahead. I don't know whose side you would take because apparently Bishop Sheen himself said, "I want to be buried at St. Patrick's New York" because he just loved it. Yeah. But I would still take Peoria's side. Why? Because there are so many reasons to visit St. Patrick's in New York already, or like New York City. There's already so much for the pilgrim to find there. Why not give it to little people? Okay, but how many American-born saints are there in the U.S.? Not many. Like, but one's already in New York. Which one? Uh, St. Francis Cabrini. American-born there. Uh, no, no, no. Right, but she's yeah, you're right. I think there's only one American-born saint or two. Well, there's Elizabeth Seton, Kateriteka Quitha. Yep, that's the two I know. Uh, that might be it. Yep. Sorry to any Catherine that we're Drexel moved here, right? No, she was from here. So she Catherine Drexel. Okay, so it's three. There's four American-born saints. Now I'm remembering, and all four of them are women. Okay, so the first American-born male saint. So I, I mean, you want to put him in New York? No, I'm just saying, like your points. Pointless. Who wants to go to Peoria, Illinois? Exactly. Exactly. That's yes. So, so, so they more people can experience Sheen in New York because more people will be there. They'll get to know about him. I'm just saying, if I'm and the- as a media icon who knew where you know, like, the, you know, the the where to be, the locations, I see, he probably I, yeah. thought in advance, bury me in New York because more people are going to go there. I hear you, man. So anyway. Now that the controversy is continued, <laughs> let's get to the six-pack of questions. Question. Well, this was a fascinating interview because we covered so much. And this this person, I mean, my goodness. Alexis, great. What a fascinating person. All right, so first question is related to the movie side of the conversation. Yep. If you had to pick one movie that already exists, okay, that you think you could you could nail that starring role like i could do that i could be the actor who plays this character who would it be oh gosh that's a great question i don't know if i'd want to do like a historical nonfiction movie no any movie you've ever or seen a superhero it's like movie. i could i could play that character mm. it has to be a starring role not like a you know guy drinking coffee number 2 like braveheart but I wouldn't do brave work. Nice. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't moon somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that one scene. That one scene. I, see, I was thinking in my head, Forrest Gump for you. Um, actually, that would be good for you, <laughs> Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gladi- Braveheart, Gladiator. Of I don't course. Know yeah. You could nail Gladiator. You think? See, I'd be so intimidated. I would love it. I would be. So it's a movie, Adam. It's yeah. A movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number two. So, interesting, she said 60% of adult Americans are single. 50. Uh, 50. 
this seems to be a growing thing, like this kind of crisis in marriage. Yeah. What's going on? So you've seen this firsthand for some years now uh, amongst young people and kind of helping them through their life. What is going on? I think like in 1950, 70% of Americans 18 and up were married. And now, today, only 50% are. So there's obviously a decline in marriage. People are getting married later or not at all. And the longer you prolong your vocation, don't make a decision, don't get married, then you just say, well, I'm just going to live single because I'm comfortable and, you know, I'm kind of in my, setting my ways. Um, so there's a lot of different factors. And, of course, culturally, marriage and family are under attack. Um, you know, you, you get attacked for, for being heterosexual. And, I mean, you, you get attacked for a lot of things, right? And then the advent of pornography and the advent of, like, you know, the hookup culture, there's all these things that are slinging arrows against marriage, plain and simple. Mm. And so people are either opting out of doing it because it's too hard and they don't want to do it and they just uh, have other options that are, you know, fulfilling the flesh, but they're not fulfilling the heart, right? So people are people are unhappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's certainly um, a trend there that I see hands down. Man. Question number three. So you got into this book, apparently. You're really yeah. I'm in. I'm about halfway through. So if you had to boil it, I know this is kind of a tough question, but if you had to boil it down to like an idea, what what has impressed you about Bishop Sheen when reading this book? Like, what about him is impressive to you? The thing that I think is impressing me the most is his ability to relate to the human person, the average, the normal person like myself, and to be able to communicate the gospel. You know, he talks about topics like worry and anxiety. Well, who doesn't? you know, have an anxious or, or deal with worry in a, in a day or a week, you know, and he's able to talk about that and then kind of bring that into light of, uh, of faith in Jesus. And so it draws you in deeper into relationship with God in a way that you can understand it. Right on. All right. Question number four, she mentioned, which I thought was awesome. And I was, I was totally not on this plane, even though I love God and the idea of marriage, but as far as her conviction about becoming prepared for marriage mm-hmm. even before she met her spouse or whatever how did you prepare for marriage before meeting or like even while dating i guess but like what was your experience of that idea all right so here's a little teaser in the next show i'm gonna do i'm gonna do like seven tips on dating and preparing yourself Whoa. for marriage you didn't know that was coming no I didn't. just like i didn't know that question was coming so here's wow. here's the teaser one of the things is is that um, I had this realization that before I get married, I had to work on myself to prepare myself for marriage, even though I didn't know I was getting married. Hmm. Uh, and that needed to happen. And there's different things that you can do, but if you're not intentional about self-growth, then when you get married, all your junk goes into your marriage. Hands down. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. All right, question number five. Uh, you mentioned Bishop Sheen's ability to preach. And I'm just curious, and I'm not trying to judge anybody, all right, but what is great preaching? How would you define that? That's a great question. Um, I think you know it when you see it mm-hmm. uh, or you hear it. I think at the end of the day, like if you just boil it down to like, you know, because people have different styles. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are more charismatic. Some people are more monotone. Some people have great inflection points. Uh, you can talk about all the different maybe um, ways to preach, but I think if you boil it down to all the different styles, 
um, what, what makes a great communicator, a great person who preaches the gospel, is they're able to take the message and relate it to people. And so the whole point is to touch the heart, that people are changed, that they grab hold of what you're saying. So you could be a great entertainer, but if people don't walk away with anything, then you've accomplished nothing, right? Other mm. than they got to know that you were a good entertainer. So I think great preachers are able to uh, have great relatability of the message to the person. Cool. All right, question number six. So I find it interesting that both of you, you and, and Miss Weinstein, um, are coming out with books like in a month. Yes. Which is exciting. And I have a strange question related to that. Okay. I'm sure, especially when you're like, in the third manuscript or whatever, mm -hmm. you get to a point when writing where you really got to feel called to do this, yeah, to actually do it, to right? Finish, yeah. So, what's that experience like? Uh, there is there is this tipping point where you're like, I could quit now, and just walk away from it, because it does get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just this there's this conviction, like you said. Uh, to push through. And the reason I wrote this book is a spiritual conviction, not because I want to write a book or I want to sell a book. It's I believe in the message more than I believe in anything else, right? Mm. And that's what pushed me through because uh, I'm not a great, you know, like I needed an editor, right? And there's a lot of back and forth. And there was a lot of times I'm like, this is way too much work. I don't want to do it. So to be able to push through. Um, and, and so it's exciting. April 27th. The book comes out. Her book comes out April 1st. You can pre-order her book right now. And you can get Rethink Happiness, my book, on Amazon or Ave Maria Press. It, you could pre-order it and get a discount, 20% off on the, the pre-order. with. But it's the it's the whole book. It's not 20% of the book. No, right? it's 20% of, of the book. whole book. And you, okay. you just use code JOY when ordering. <gasps> yep. You're such a happy guy. Yep. Offer expires uh, April 20th because the book comes out the 27th, so 20% off the pre-order. You can order um, as many as you want, like a million. Yeah. Or you can order 10 for your family. You can order 1,000. Well, I've heard that you need to read or a book. Or one. I've heard you need to read a book at least 1,000 times to really understand it yeah. and a different copy of the book. Yeah, that's where it really, really helps. But anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this, and I really hope that it has an impact on people's lives and... and Part of Sheen's ability to communicate to people is something that I want to be able to do better at, you know, mm -hmm. um, because I want people to know the truth and I want them to be happy. So anyway, great show, man. Great Packs. show. It's a Paul George show. Adam Kant will be back next week. Talk to you later. God bless you.